0: Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Modern creative teams are pulled in a thousand directions. Maintaining a functional project plan is hard. Wrangling designers and writers, copy edits and clients, all on deadline, can get messy fast. Most collaboration tools aren't made for creatives and creative projects, but Airtable is. Airtable makes it easy to organize stuff, people, ideas, anything you can imagine. That's why leading creative teams at places like Experience Design Agency Huge, Product Development Agency Planetary, and retail brand United Colors of Benetton use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule. And let creative people be creative. Visit Airtable.com Glossy today to get $50 in free credits. Barney's doesn't guarantee success, Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy Managing Editor, Hilary Milneys. And with me this week is Aaron Luo, the CEO of Kara. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Hilary. So we are actually live from the Glossy podcast. Yes, we are. So we've been talking a lot about Amazon, about brand stories, authenticity and marketing, something that I know that you guys are practicing a lot. So wouldn't you tell us what Kara is? Have you been been with the brand since it started? How did you get involved? Um, What's
1: your background? Yeah, 100%. So thanks for having me on the podcast, a longtime fan. <laughs> and uh, so Kara, we started as a luxury handbag brand based in New York City. And uh, we always say we are rooted in sports. And what that means is that initially the brand, when we first started, the idea was to produce a high-end luxury bag that she can use for the gym, and then she can take it outside to anywhere else she goes throughout the day. As we think about long term vision for the brand, what we really want to do is we want to own the movement. And what that means for us is if she is moving, right, whether it's her daily commute between, you know, Hoboken to New York City, or whether it's taking a long trip from LA to Sydney, as long as she's moving, we want to be servicing her with our product. Mm -hmm. So, what that means is that our products are extremely functional and versatile um, while on the outside it looks like a luxury traditional um, handbag. Mm -hmm. So that's how the brand usually started. Um, You know, for for me, my family has been doing handbag manufacturing for luxury brands for the last 20 years. And uh, our co-founder, Carmen Chen Wu, she is a CFDA-awarded fashion designer and uh, has always been in the luxury fashion handbag space. Mm -hmm. And when we first came together, I think it started really kind of with two reasons why we started the brand. One, which couldn't find that one bag that could transition with her for inside and outside of the fitness fitness studio. Mm -hmm. So you either use a traditional sports bag, which is very functional, but aesthetically speaking, sometimes very masculine, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes just not pleasing in the eyes, if you may. Um, Or she ended up using kind of a luxury bag, Mm -hmm. which is very well made, very well crafted, but now no really functional. Um, even though it's beautiful and by the way it was very expensive right so the idea was to uh, can we marry the two and come up with something that's functional while looking um, high-end if you may and uh, truthfully speaking because of our family background because we have seen luxury brands uh, of all calibers you know across the world uh, we just feel the overall aesthetics speaking it's becoming a little stale right I think you know, and Carmen says this the best, my, our co-founder, she says, you know, a lot of times I think handbag is becoming almost like a pot of flower, mm. right? Like it's beautiful to look at, but yet not really that functional. It's very delicate. And we just feel that especially the millennial woman wants more, you know, she wants something that, um, that's beautiful, but yet very functional, versatile that can go through, you know, through her busy lifestyle, Um, so that's kind of the background behind the brand.
0: Right. So we've been talking a lot about how, how do brands today defend their reason for existing almost? Mm -hmm. How do you make customers care about your brand story? Every brand technically has, they have obviously have a reason for existing, a reason for why they were started. Yeah. But it's, it it all depends on how you spin that story for the customer, get them to care, get them to seek you out and and become an actual buyer of the brand. So. Mm How did you guys go about deciding what what care's angle was going to be in the market? Of course, it's it's, it's where function meets fashion, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how do you convey that that message to customers in a way that that they'll actually care about?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm very glad you, you bring this up, and and I think you know I'm fas- I'm pretty passionate about the, the topic. I think for us, it really starts everything with product, mm-hmm. right? And for us, you know. there's plenty of brands out there right now that I think you will lead with, let's just call it seven out of the 10 product, right? But awesome storytelling, awesome customer service, awesome customer experience. But the product itself, it's really seven, six, maybe eight at best. Um, And and that works, I think, for certain brands if you have deep pockets, right? If you are a venture capital-backed brand that you have a lot of money to tell the story, Mm -hmm. I think that works. Mm -hmm. And time will tell whether those brands will be around for a long time but so far we know that they at least some data points prove that they're selling for us um, we always relied on the product right so we spend a lot of time and a lot of budget in terms of coming out with the best product and what that meant for us was you know we develop our own custom lining we infuse that with silver um, to make sure that it's one of the most durable antibacterial lining in the world uh we spend a lot of time testing the product so the product itself has multiple compartments um, multiple different ways you can actually wear the product such as such as our studio bag and uh, so we we'll spend a lot of time with our customers and ambassadors testing it before launching the product mm-hmm. and to answer your question i think that's very important to us because if you don't lead with product and with you know there's no substance to your brand right the moment that you stop doing the storytelling the moment you start stop paying for acquiring customers your brand just could die mm-hmm. you know so i think for us we we didn't do any marketing spending in terms of customer acquisition in the beginning right for us it, we wanted to be very organic especially in the first 2 years to make sure that our product its sound that is well receptive from the customers and from the audience that we're trying to capture and uh, so that's how we started. That's how we're trying to make ourselves relevant, right? I think, you know, during one of the glossy sessions uh, this week, you know, one of the things we talked about was, uh, look, at the end of the day, there's only one Birkin bag, mm-hmm. right? And, and Hermes has it. And the reason being is not because just of the storytelling. Sure, there's definitely a great story and heritage that comes with it. At the end of the day, it's a cool, gray bag. It's the product at, itself, at the end of the day, that why people want to buy it, right? So. That's kind of the approach we we are taking um, to lead with product and with design first and then complement that with storytelling.
0: Right, and did you raise VC funding?
1: We did not, we did not. And, you know, again, another passionate topic of mine, Mm. I actually have this theory that I think retail brands... Should not raise VC funding in the early stages. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure your listeners and there are plenty of people out there that would disagree, mm-hmm. right? with With my um, with 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 my stand, if you may. I just think that you know, there's a lot of great things that comes with VC funding or funding mm-hmm. in general, early stages. Um, for us, you know, first of all, we did not. We want to be kind of controls of our own destiny, mm-hmm. right? So there are certain KPIs that we knew that was very important to us, and bottom line or margin was a critical one that we want to make sure that we, you know, we broke even from year one, right? So that was very important to us to achieve. Versus, I know if we start raising early on, um, you know, obviously it's a financial KPI that everybody would pay attention to, but it might not be the most critical one, right? So. Right. Um, so we we made a conscious decision to not raise VC funding um, and um, you know we were fortunate enough that we own the supply chain and we have a family office that actually backed us mm-hmm. um, so so that was very fortunate for us and I understand not everybody will have that kind of situation but my advice to a lot of brands out there is always try to not raise as loan as you can mm-hmm. um, because like I said you know you, you Kind of want to control your destiny, especially in the early stages,
0: right? And so, when you have the the ability to not raise not raise money in order to get started, and not rely on you know big customer acquisition reach, really high paid marketing uh, strategies. What was your What was your marketing playbook yeah. like for the, for the first two years? How did you get the word out there without paying a bunch of money?
1: Yeah, um, another great question. So for us, a couple of different things. Uh, First of all, we knew that we want to work with micro-influencers, right? So, you know, we had an opportunity to basically partner with an amazing group of women that, you know, are fitness instructors, they are actresses, um, just some moms, you know, just everybody who... Initially, we believe in our brand to work with her to test our product and make her our brand evangelist. Mm -hmm. And it all happened extremely organic in the beginning. So that was one angle that we took. Um, We are a native digital brand. So, you know, we knew that we didn't want to do a lot of wholesale in the beginning. But we knew that the right wholesale partner will help us gain brand credibility and then gain distribution scale fairly quickly if we do it right. Right um so um we were fortunate enough to actually partner with a uh, few awesome brands so equinox being one of them uh, we had a chance to work with them um. Pretty much from the get-go, so we were stuck through the stores. Uh, we came out with an exclusive collaboration with them, and uh, and that essentially helped us quite a bit, especially in the early early stages, to again gain brand cred- credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and then most recently, we formed an exclusive partnership with Athleta, um, which is one of the Gap companies, to help them think through you know kind of the overall accessories handbag space within sports and fitness. Um, and um, mm-hmm. so we launched the Cara X Athleta collaboration capsule collection that's exclusive sold through the website. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that initially when we are not spending any money on customer acquisition that give us kind of their outreach to on the global stage, really.
0: Right. And so it, so those partners that you're aligning with the athletic world, the athletic side of retail. Yeah. What about on the luxury side? Since you want to straddle that line, are you now looking like, okay, what? how do we now play in the fashion world? Because, you know, obviously proximity, the, the other brands that you align with are going to, you know, kind of establish how people perceive the brand.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, honestly, um, to me, partnership has to be very natural, mm-hmm. right? And the partnerships I described before really happened organically obviously we had a plan we had a strategy and there were a few players that we wanted to work with and partner with but at the end of the day you know there were plenty of partners that did reach out to us that we say no to right mainly just because it didn't make sense mm-hmm. um you know the back to the athleta uh, conversation you know our brands aligned very well with each other right they are all about woman empowerment all about um kind of putting her at the middle of the brand and that's kind of the fundamental mission behind Cara, right? It's how to empower her. Like Carmen always says this, that, you know, handbag is the ultimate woman's weapon. To mm-hmm. a certain extent, you carry your life in it, right? So we want to kind of give that to her and make her back better. So, so I think, you know, when we thought about a partnership, it just needed to make sense in terms of brand alignment. You know, when I think about luxury brands, there's certain few players that would love to um, have some conversations with or we're having some conversations already. Um, like I said, I think, you know, we're not going to have partnership just for sake of partnerships. Mm-hmm. It just has to make sense. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and and so you guys are unique in that you're a digitally native brand, but you do sell on Amazon. Yeah. So how did you sort of plot out your, your distribution strategy and, and why did you figure that okay amazon is actually a smart move for us because so many other brands just look at it as a place where brand cachet goes to die
1: yeah and and i have to say i have to caveat that by saying that we're still testing amazon Mm
0: -hmm. it's not the full product assortment it's
1: not the full product assortment we we are not 100 percent convinced that that's the right channel you know for me here's here's how i think about luxury brands or brands in general right when you brand become over distributed Right. Meaning that, you know, if you can buy your product anywhere and everywhere, to a certain extent, I think it it, it chips away a little bit of the brand equity. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It kind of loses a little bit of exclusivity and makes my own e-commerce a little less special to a certain extent, Um, especially with Amazon. That it's not really, let's call it brand friendly. Right. It doesn't give you a lot of brand freedom or for brands doesn't really allow you to create your brand experience on their platform. So. You know, to me, Amazon, I think, you know, my overall thought about Amazon is that, look, if you were a commodities business, right? If you are in the basics business, um, you should be scared and you should not be on Amazon, Mm -hmm. right? Because Amazon has massive access to big data and they're able to identify trends at a very early stages. And if they think your category that you're in, it's a lucrative good category for them they will possibly copy Mm -hmm. you know and uh, you know for niche brands like ours or specialty brands like ours um, you know where the brand itself is led by a fashion designer that actually creates trends right our job you know the way we think about ourselves is to actually tell the consumer something that they need before they need it right Mm -hmm. before they even know they need it Mm -hmm. so because of that Amazon would never be able to copy us, you know. So we we don't see them as a threat per se, um, but you know, there's a difference between that and us going full in into selling on on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So I think you know we're still watching. We're still testing few things in there, but um, we certainly, for a brand like ours. Don't see it as a threat. Also, I'm although I'm I'm just not convinced that that's the right platform for us either.
0: Right. So you don't you don't think that Amazon is in the business of or going to try to get into the business of fashion trends or set like setting those trends. No, not at all. Even when all of these search, uh, especially in retail, but search in general, starts on Amazon.
1: Yeah, I, I think. Look, I think they can spot trends, mm-hmm. right? And, and back to my point, I think all the searches and and all the sales and reviews i think gives amazon great insights right and they have so much scale right mm-hmm. i mean we know that over 40% of the us e-commerce sales happens on amazon i mean that's like a beast and and um I, but because i think they rely on data that itself it's almost non trend creation mm-hmm. if if i'm making sense
0: yeah because it's it's just sort of re Purposing what's already exactly. in the in the data exactly so it's there.
1: It's, it's looking at the market. It's looking at what possible demands are out there, and then be able to actually go into the category and leverage their supply chain to actually produce something that's you know to a certain extent better and cheaper than all of the major brands that's out there who's offering the same product. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I I I I believe that they are great at catching early train and fabricating it mm-hmm. right. Versus creating a need or creating a trend.
0: Today's sponsor is Airtable, the all in one collaboration platform. The creative world is constantly evolving, and to keep up, you need a tool that's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everybody on the same page. Airtable is modern software. Its fields can handle any content you throw at them add attachments, long text notes, check boxes, links to records and other tables, even barcodes. Whatever you need to stay organized. That's why when the team at WeWork needed a tool to manage their entire creative process from ideation to content creation, they turned to Airtable. Airtable empowers you to do your work your way. Try it today. Just head to Airtable.com slash Glossy to receive $50 in free credits. So can you just walk us through what testing on Amazon looks like or how you want to, um, what it looks like for a brand in your position, like how you went about starting to test on Amazon. Like how did you choose what products you would sell? Like what were right for that market? How did you choose how to price them? How did you decide but there's like different levers you can pull on Amazon? And, and and I feel like when testing them it's like okay, how much do I invest? Cuz it seems like the more mm-hmm. you invest on Amazon the better it would perform. Yep. So how did you set the right goals that you wanted to see would against these expectations of okay, we know this is like a limited uh, representation of the brand and so you kind of had to manage expectations around that
1: yeah it definitely is a touch and go right mm. it, it's it's i wish i can tell you we had uh, this master plan on here the 20 things we need to test but it's a little bit of kind of um we do this see what happens and you know depending on the results we we'll do something else um for us you know we knew that we wanted to test some high price items and some low price items and see initially what was the result from the customers or from the people that was buying, that were buying. Um, you know, price, honestly, for us, wasn't really a point of test, um, meaning that, look, went back to my point before, if I was in the commodities business or if I was in the basic business, right, mm-hmm. um, finding the right price point is very important, right, because I would look at all the white T-shirts that's out there and look at, obviously, the quality and think through their pricing and say, how do I be competitive, right? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do to persuade the person who's searching for a white t-shirt to purchase our product, right? And again, if it's a commodity, pricing, it's a huge factor. For us, we're a specialty product. It's a niche product um, that, honestly, there's really not that much comparison out there, right? Right, and,
0: and you have to set the price and stand by it mm-hmm. in order to convince people that that's what they should be paying for it especially this early on
1: exactly so you know when it comes to pricing i think it was a pretty straightforward um conversation for us right because um if i was in the commodities business right if i was selling let's say white t-shirt um we know that there's a lot of white t-shirts out there Mm -hmm. right so to be competitive besides quality you know you probably want to take a look and see what other people are selling white T-shirts for and then be competitive from that perspective, right? For us, we're a specialty product. Um, Again, to a certain extent, there's nobody like us out there, right, doing what we do. That's probably one of our kind of selling features is that we're unique, our designs are unique that nobody else can touch. Um, So we knew that pricing was never gonna be a big point for us to test. Um, Matter of fact, it's kind of the same, you know, when we first Uh, launching amazon it's the same as our own website and uh, we kind of want to see the results of that um but yeah that's the that's the that's the the extent that we start testing and obviously we start testing traffic we start testing conversions the usual things that you test you know with any e-commerce um but um i have to say amazon is is a little bit of a black box Mm -hmm. to a certain extent
0: right how do you test it when you're not when they're not really showing you anything. Exactly, the visibility <laughs> in
1: the backend is very limited. Very comparison, you know, in comparison to what Google Analytics or a few of uh, you know the tools that we use um, on our own website to kind of test the performance. So, again, you know, overall, we 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 don't see it as a threat. Um, it's too early for me to say that it is a place where we're going to be permanently selling our products. Um, but um, yeah, that's kind of how how we're thinking about Amazon right now.
0: Right, and and what about other other retailer platforms have you because it seems like okay when it comes to like the digitally native brand playbook yeah brands have realized okay you need an in-store experience you do collaborations to help exposure but the wholesale relationship has been like it seems like it's something that brands don't really want to take the plunge in. Yeah. So how do you, do you sell through any other retail channels? We do.
1: We do. And I was very uh, calculated to a certain extent. We knew that we wanted to do what I call strategic wholesale partners, right? Oh, mm-hmm. strategic wholesale.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so currently we're selling through Equinox and we're selling through Nordstrom. Okay. Those so are. so
0: it's uh, wholesale through Equinox, not like a shop and shop.
1: Correct. Um, so, so that's... Um, you know, it's a tricky conversation because I think, you know, taking a step back and not kind of looking at our relationship with Equinox or Nordstrom, when I think about wholesale in the U.S. in general, right, and because our you know we come from the fashion industry, so we have a little bit of insight into what the wholesale process looks like, mm-hmm. I think the whole world process is broken, you know, and, and let me break that down because you hear that a lot from other brands like, oh, wholesale sucks and, yeah. and this and that. and. <laughs> Let me let me kind of break it down in how we're thinking about wholesale, right? I think let's talk about the good side and the bad side. The good side is that it helps with your distribution, as we know, helps with your scale, helps with your brand credibility, especially in the early stages. And truthfully speaking, on the back end, you know, helps with your minimums. So, you know, so there's certain great things that comes with wholesale. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the bad side. Um, not only you don't have access to data, right? Like you don't own that customer base. You don't know who she is. You don't know where she comes from. You don't know how long she's spending on the side. You don't know any of that. But the financial model between you and the retailer, I think it's also very strange Mm -hmm. to say the least, right? You know, for most deals that you have, and I'm talking about large department stores, right? If you look at traditional wholesale models, they basically have the right to return the product back to you if they don't sell it Mm. right which you kind of take a step back and say wait a minute you ordered this from us right we produced it for you we ship it to you on time we ship it to you with a good quality and but you bought it and and the model the way has been in the past is that now they have to the right to return back to us if they don't sell that doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. you know and so so and, and i think you know, for a lot of brands, if you're not careful, that will be the end of you, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're a seasonal brand, that uh, you have different colors every season, think about if you have return of a color that's from last season, what are you going to do with that, right. you know?
0: And that's when the promotion cycle starts.
1: You got it. It's a vicious cycle. I mean, mm-hmm. once you get into that overall cycle, I think it's a very, you know, slippery slope. slope. Um, for us, you know, we were very careful picking the right retail partners to work with. And it's always that fine line that we work with is, by saying, hey, how do we work together so that we both come out winning without Mm -hmm. running into trouble. Mm -hmm. So um, I actually believe that wholesale is not the devil. (laughs) Like a lot of native digital brands would would think. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for us, we love our retail partners. Um, Once again, we don't want to be everywhere, right? But we want to be very selective who we work with. But I think wholesale done well, it's a very powerful distribution channel.
0: Right, and do you think that some retailers are doing better at kind of realizing that brands are being more strategic about where they sell mm-hmm. and, and doing what they can to improve the experience, minimize promotions and kind of win that trust back, especially when when you consider Amazon's domination in this in the space.
1: Hundred percent. I, I think I think a lot of them are realizing that they have to right? It's not really just even think ahead. It's either you do that or, you know, a lot of brands just might start pulling back on what they start selling through them, especially a lot of brands are start thinking about selling on their own through e-commerce. Now that would take a little bit of time, mm-hmm. right? It's not that easy to switch from the wholesale model to an e-commerce model. So retailers probably realize that some brands can switch overnight, but I think, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, we talk to a lot of retailers constantly, and and you definitely get a feeling that they are starting to think about, or in some cases, changing their model to make sure there's truly a partnership between brand and retailer. Versus, mm-hmm. like I said before, it's 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 kind of a one way street in the
0: past. Right. So, when when you're looking at what what's next for the brand, wh- how do you sort of decide what's what's most urgent in terms of where your resources need to be? Is it designing new product, adding more products? It seems like you guys have a, have a good number of brands yeah. already or yeah. not brands, but products already. Yeah. Is it, you know, expanding your, your distribution strategy? How do you, or, you know, in, in changing your marketing strategy, how do you decide where your dollars go at this stage with the, with the company?
1: Yeah. So I think for us, so, so a couple of things. I think you know. I think of ourselves as ourselves as um, you know what I call native digital brand 2.0, maybe 3.0, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean with that is, look, you know, you 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 look at ten years ago, right? You had this great kind of you know awesome brands, native digital brands that that started. You know, there's the Warby's, the Bonobos, the Everlanes, um, Casper. Um, And one thing I think I learned from those guys, right, when I think about those brands is that be focused. Mm -hmm. You know, be focused. Don't try to create a lifestyle brand from day one. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot to be said about being laser focused on certain product categories and be really good at that. And so that's kind of how we're thinking about ourselves, right? We, you know, we... We never use the word lifestyle, even though obviously there's certain things that we hope that we can service her on besides kind of the gym to office and, you know, all the movement things we talked about before. But um, we want to be focused. We are not going to be the brand that comes out with, in you know, a 100 different SKUs, mm-hmm. right? So we want to be really good at the few SKUs that we have and constantly improving those. You know, we will introduce new products and um, in, in potentially different categories. So TBD on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Again, for us, it's how how do we be best at this particular category? And for us, it's uh, it's leather goods, you know, mm-hmm. it's handbags, it's accessories, it's leather goods. So
0: right, and and so who's your your target market? I know you're expanding globally in other in other regions. So how do you how do you do that as a small brand?
1: Yeah. So um, right now we're primarily U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do ship worldwide. Um, so there are certain countries that we start seeing growth right asia it's obviously a, a big area for us to think about um i think there's a lot of things that we can do in the us um you know right now we're primarily a coastal brand right mm-hmm. so new york la San france seattle um miami Um, I think for us, you know, we're constantly thinking about how do we capture more of the share in the U.S., more in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, we have a great, loyal customer following more in the inner land of the U.S., and, you know, our thought is how do we, how do we, how do we maximize that? How do we double down, and how do we educate and reach out to those customers and let her know what we what we can offer? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that comes with potential retail footprints. That can come with you know additional marketing spending. You know, there's certain lo- different things that we're exploring, um, but I think there's plenty of work to be done in the U.S. alone.
0: Right? Do you see like what are the biggest um, pitfalls or you know, traps that you want to avoid as a brand who's looking back at, you know, the last 10 years of, of the C brand era?
1: Yeah. Um, great question. I think, um, well, the, the key thing is for us, we keep reminding ourselves we have to lead with product, right? Um, again, you know, respect to all the DTC brands out there. Um, I, I just think that there's a lot of DTC brands out there that um, kind of lead with you know, a seven out of ten product, like I said before, mm-hmm. but great storytelling and, you know, great customer service and customer experience. And, you know, I think we just need to keep reminding ourselves that at the end of the day, you have to have substance, right? Your product has to be different, has to be unique. So that that's that, that's the key thing I, I will highlight. I think the second thing is do not get on do not get hooked on marketing acquisition or, or customer acquisition through marketing right I, I just think that look if you do it well it can be a very effective way of acquiring customers but i see it almost like a drug mm-hmm. right because yes it works while you pay right but the moment that you stopped are you going to have the same group of loyal customers are you still going to have the same awareness you don't know until you stop but you know if you have are forced to stop or have to stop, I think it's a very dangerous spot to be. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, as you build a brand, especially if you want to build a brand that's sustainable for the long term, you just want to be careful in terms of how you are acquiring customers and how you're doing it in a sustainable way.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and so and so, with the, all of this in mind, what do you think the the path is forward? Like, what's your ideal exit strategy if yeah. you were to see where this brand is going is it an IPO is it how big do you think reasonably like standalone brands can be today especially when you look at how crowded the market is and and how does that figure into your your long-term goals yeah
1: 100 i think you know so i mean there's a lot of uh conversations out there and and you've had a few guests in your show talking about this um i i also don't believe in the billion dollar brands right mm-hmm. I, I just don't think those exist um I think there's plenty of room for a $50 million brand, a $100 million brand. You know, for us specifically, we don't think about exit strategy. You know, we think about how do I build a long-term brand, right? With us or without us. You know, the founder story, it's great, it's there. But again, my job as CEO and, and Carmen's job as the creative director is to how to build a brand that lasts. Mm-hmm. So um, so again, don't really think about the exit strategy. I think the long-term goal for the brand is somebody that becomes an American household brand, right? That when you think about a great, versatile handbag, um, we want to be, you know, one of the top ones that you think about, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about making that purchase. And and this is where, you know, we feel very honored because, you know, based on all the awards that we've won, in the past and recognition we have on the marketplace, we think to a certain extent, we're given the opportunity to rethink what the modern handbag should look like right right and so as i think about kind of long term strategy or long-term vision for the brand is to become the household name when, when you think about accessories when you think about handbags
0: mm-hmm. well good luck <laughs> thanks yeah
1: yeah we we're gonna keep keep fighting the good fight
0: right and well thank you so much for, for joining me here and it was fun
1: thank you thank you Hilary. great
0: and thank you for listening